today uh, we'll be introducing um, OC, Office of Property and Human Development Initiative, and our research, and to be divided among four speakers. The first, John Hammock, who is the co-founder of OC, and I call him founding father, um, <laughs> will begin, and then Sabina will present, Sabina Alkai will present um, some introduction of our research methodologies and projects that we do, then I will, you know, sort of, uh, jump in and present what new we have done this year as part of our research. And then finally, Gisela Robles, who is also a research officer with us, um, she will show you different um, different materials that are available from the website that you may use also for your, for your research project. Okay? Thank you so much. Very briefly, we are is a research center inside the department, but we're not located here. I'll talk about that in a second. This is basically our staff, it's a small center. We're also virtual, some of these people live in Chile, Argentina, the United States, uh, etc. So we have a number of our staff people who are not here. The small center is not in this building, unfortunately. It's down, just take a right outside the door and go to the end of Mansfield, and it's right there. Plant Sciences is a building right across the street when you go across that South Park Lane. So it's only about a five minute walk at the most, uh, and then welcome. We're very open to having you come, not just to meet with us and talk to us, but also to work with us. Um, we are a team that, well, as I said, all over the place. We also have a number of people who, students who work with us in a lot of different capacities. Our advisors are um, Sudhir Anand, Tony Atkinson, Amartya Sen, and Francis Stewart. And I, what I would say is the purpose of our center is to do solid, grounded academic work but then has a policy impact. We're very interested not just in solid academic work, but also in the policy impact of our work. And we have two basic themes that we work on primarily. One is on multidimensional poverty metrics. How do you measure poverty in a multidimensional way? And the second theme is missing dimensions. Most of the, the inventions that people have to measure poverty are very limited. So we're trying to also try to figure out how do you measure empowerment? How do you measure informal work? How do you measure subjective well-being? So we also have this whole area of how do you try to measure missing dimensions of poverty data. So one of the things that uh, we have this module on poverty and human development, which just started uh, from now, from 10, it starts today from 10.30 to 12.30. Uh, you're more than welcome. We also have super, thesis supervision, research assistance. A lot of different people come, uh, students will come and work for us in many different capacities. So please sign up or come and see us. Uh, all these research activities, besides the, in the two big areas that we work in, we do a number of workshops. We're coming out with a book on the whole development measurement. Uh, it's going to come out next March, published by the OFI team. Uh, we, we also then have a number of other major kind of research, like for example, we have a big research project in Chad on the missing dimensions. We have our summer school every summer. We have at least one two-week intensive training this year here in Oxford. We have about 65 people, many from government and from academia, to learn intensively on how to do a multidimensional measure. We're also very involved in post-2015 MDG discussions, SDG discussions, and so if you're interested in what's happening at the United Nations, we're very actively involved in that both in terms of how to measure poverty in those measures, but also just getting multidimensional poverty into the measures. And so we're very involved in New York on that. And uh, one of the things that we have done two years ago, last year here in Oxford, we created a multidimensional poverty network. 
with 22 countries. This year we have 30 countries. And those are like the Prime Minister of St. Lucia, the Vice President of the Dominican Republic, ministers from South Africa and Brazil. A high level, why? Because it, this is not enough to do poverty statistics at the statistical level. You have to get it up to the policy level. So we have to have this network, and we are the secretary of that network. I happen to be running the network as, as its sort of executive at this point. And, and it's, so at OFI, besides doing the research, we're also very involved in that policy network. If you're interested in the nexus between research and policy, uh, you can talk to us. We have basically two goals in the network. One is to expand multidimensional poverty at the national level, try to get as many countries to do it. And we have a number of countries now, four countries have adopted this measure. We have about six or seven more that will adopt it in the next few months. But the other area is going to be is the sale area of the MDGs. How do you take the MDGs and make them the SDGs and have multidimensional poverty be part of them? So we have that. Those two goals are the two major activities of the multidimensional poverty network. And that uh, requires good research, robust research, but also requires active policy outreach and very sustained uh, work at that level. And then just to wrap up, what I'll say on the missing dimensions, I, I already mentioned them, but very briefly, the missing dimensions that we work on are quality of work, empowerment, physical safety, work without shame, and psychological well-being. We're particularly working a lot also with women empowerment. We've got a work on an agriculture index that we also provide, work on. So it's not just poverty, but, but these missing dimensions uh, we work on have to do with poverty. And, and I, I mentioned already the fact that we had this representative sample of five. And Chad, we're just now beginning to analyze the data that came out of that and doing academic papers around it. So that is basically OFI. It's a small research center. We're very active, both in terms of research and in terms of policy, and we're very open. Everything we do is, we're the most transparent organization in the world. Everything we do is up on the website, and we would more than welcome you to come and visit us at the offices. So that is what I have to say, and now I'll introduce the director of the center, Sabina. Sabina, okay. Um, I'm Sabina, and I will take us through two things. One is um, the methodology we use for multidimensional poverty measurement, and the second is some overview of the global MPI results. And then Shimon will take us through changes over time and uh, inequality among the poor and destitution. And then Gisela Robles will show you online the resources that uh, exist that you may want to download and use, and we'll close with some research questions. Um, that may be of interest. And we'll do that in 35 minutes, um, or by, so that there's time for discussion afterwards. So this is just a real whistle-stop tour. If you'd like a deeper, uh, uh, to go deeper on any topics, we're happy to share the work. But the Global MPI is a measure of acute poverty in developing countries. It was launched in 2010 and uh, is updated with the data that are released subsequently and is published by the Human Development Reports of UNDP and estimated by us here at OFI. Um, and there are a lot of people who work together to compute it, including a lot of students um, and quantitative people not only here but in other parts of the world. Um, and also they do communications. So first of all on the methodology. The methodology is the same for this index which is a global MPI and for the national measures, which uh, John Hammock mentioned are under development in many other countries. But the national measures use different indicators, different cutoffs, different weights, depending on the policy priorities of that setting. 
In the global measure, there are three dimensions, health, education, living standards, and 10 indicators. The indicators are defined slightly differently, so I'll go through each of them, because they look at the sharing among the household. So you're deprived in nutrition if anybody in your household is malnourished. You're deprived in child mortality if anyone in your household has lost a child. You're deprived in years of schooling if nobody in your household, not your 11-year-old, not your grandmother, has completed five years of schooling. And you're deprived in school attendance if any child aged up to the age at which they would finish class eight is not attending school. The other indicators are defined uh, much more intuitively if you cook with a solid cooking fuel, don't have adequate sanitation or share it, don't have clean water or walk more than 30 minutes to get it, don't have electricity, have a dirt floor, or not more than one of a small number of assets like a radio, television, telephone, refrigerator, bicycle, or motorcycle. So the first thing we do using data sets, and these were the only 10 indicators we had data for for over 100 countries in 2009 when we made the measure. So the first thing we do is make a profile of the deprivations. Deprivations are different than poverty that each person faces. So this is Natalie Buba Husseini, who's not here, did her case study. She's 20 years old. She and her husband and co-wife have five kids, and they live in the north of Cameroon. Um, as you can see, they have a, a dirt or natural floor, so they're deprived in flooring. Um, their water comes from a river, so they're deprived in water. They don't have electricity. Um, so there are a number of, of deprivations, as you already saw, as well as uh, health deprivations. Um, so we make a deprivation profile for each person. The deprivation profiles don't capture everything. In this case, they don't capture violence. This is an area under, under violent threat. They don't capture injustices of the past. All their cattle have been stolen. They don't capture positive things. Natalie had a bubbly personality, and there was a great camaraderie sense in the household when Google went to visit. So it's incomplete, but it's at least striking on some important aspects. Then the second question is, who is poor? Identification. And in the global measure, to simply have one deprivation doesn't signify poverty. It could be a data error. It could be that it's not an important indicator in your climate or culture. So a person is identified as poor if they're deprived in one-third of the indicators or in some combination of indicators that add up to one-third. Are you with me? So now we have deprivation profiles. We've identified who's poor. And the MPI is very simple. It says the percentage of people who are poor, because they're deprived in one-third or more, that's H, the headcount ratio, and you multiply that by A, which is the average intensity that each poor person experiences. Natalie was deprived in two-thirds of the dimensions. But how many, on average, are people deprived in, in each country? That's what A measures. And A gives a sensitivity and an makers to reduce the intensity of poverty among the poorest people, even if they don't leave poverty. So it's a much more sensible measure than headcount ratio for looking at the poorest of the poor. So that's the structure both of the national and of the global measures, and it's based on a methodology I did with James Foster, who will be here next week, um, and uh, also can has some other properties in that paper. But we're just presenting it very lightly today. And we implement it basically with international surveys that are in the public domain. 
and the data this year are from 20, 2002 to 2013. And more than half the data sets are updates from what we first released in 2010. And we already have another 16 countries calculated. So this is a very dynamic um, area in terms of getting new data. So first of all, the data that we have cover 5.4 billion people, mostly in Asia, and then in the other parts of the world. We have 95, 96% coverage in South Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa, 86 in East Asian Latin America, and lower in Eastern Europe and Arab states. Across all of them, 30% of people, 1.6 billion people, are poor. And we aggregate using 2010 data. The poorest country is Niger, in which 89% of people are poor, but in 43 of the 780 subnational regions that we have data for, more than 90% of people are poor. Where do these poor people wake up in the morning? Most of them, 52% in South Asia, 29% in Sub-Saharan Africa. So the newspapers would make you think all poverty is in Africa. We're showing something different, right? And that has to do with the population of South Asia, as well as the levels of poverty. Again, when it comes to income, you would think that most of the poor people live in low-income countries, and clearly a greater proportion of poor people live in low-income countries, but most poor people live in middle-income countries, by our measure, as by the $1.25-a-day measure. Is our measure the same as $1.25, because we have the same results? It's actually a little bit different. In this graphic, we have the countries ranked from zero percentage of people who are poor, to 89% in Niger, and the height of the bar is the percentage of people who are poor, because we can compare that with the percentage of people who are income poor. And the black dot is the percentage of people who are income poor for that country. So you can see that there's a general relationship, but it's quite different than $1.25 a day. And so we say that it complements it. It basically brings into visibility some aspects of social um, deprivations that are not available with income poverty. And if we look at intensity, that also adds. So I just showed you headcount, and these are the countries in the same order, but now the height is the average intensity. And so we see that in the poorest countries, the average intensity of each poor person is higher than in the least poor countries. So that's a problematic situation, but it's at least something that we would not be visible if we didn't look at the intensity. We can also see um, differences by income levels, and clearly in high-income countries, this measure doesn't really say much, but in low, upper-middle-income countries, there's a range from 1% to 40% of poverty, and in lower-middle-income countries, from 1% to 77% of people being in poverty. And in low-income countries, from 4.9% in Kyrgyzstan to 89% in Niger. So there's quite a range, but the good news is that in some of these low-income countries, they've reduced poverty a lot. So you can have 4.9% of your people being poor, and you're still a low-income country. And so there's lots, if you look at particular GDP per capita ratios, you see those go alongside quite diverse levels of poverty. So there's a lot that some countries do in their social policies to control this kind of acute poverty. So this is all looking nationally, but the measure can be decomposed by subgroup. So for example, that's Niger Nigeria, but those are the regions of Nigeria. So you have the world inside Nigeria, 
with Lagos being like Eastern Europe and Baonchi being like Niger. So it's quite important to do that, and it's particularly important to do that because the profiles are different. This is Cameroon. Cameroon, again, has the world inside it, but if you look at Bangladesh, it doesn't. It doesn't have the real high poverty nor the real low poverty. And if you look at Ethiopia, it's mostly high poverty, but Addis is very low. So it's important not only just to stop at national, but to decompose by ethnic group or religious group or whatever the data permit. And then it's also important to decompose by those indicators, those 10 indicators. And you can break it down by them uh, mathematically. It's a strict decomposition, post-identification. These are three countries that have basically very similar levels of MPI, 0 0.43, 0 0.44, and 0.45, Peru, South Africa, and Iraq. These are the living standard indicators. These are health, and these are education. And what you see is that they have the same level of poverty, but the composition is very different. So again, you need to break it apart, not just nationally, but by dimension. And this is what gives you a lot of policy-relevant information, is looking at the different dimensions. Yeah? And these are three countries with very different levels of poverty, but quite similar issues, <coughs> Bolivia, Haiti, and Malawi. So that is just showing you two things. I've shown you the basic methodology of multidimensional poverty measurement, how you identify who's poor because of the overlapping deprivations that they experience jointly, and then how you make an MPI by multiplying that by the intensity. And then when you have that measure, you can look nationally and you can break it apart subnationally. But you can also break it apart by time and have some different cutoffs. So I'll hand over now to Shimon who will do the rest. Thank you, Senator. <coughs> well, uh, so you saw, so you know, presenting um, how the overall measure of multidimensional poverty, how can it be broken down across regions, across um, different indicators, at a point of time. But what is the main objective of government? <coughs> to track the changes to implement whether it is really helping the poor. That is the main objective of measure. Okay. So what we did, we did some changes for the time analysis in order to ensure that no one is left behind. So this was sort of a theme of this year's um, analysis. Now, poverty data over time, we need household service, that means we need all data to be available from the same data set. And like the financial stock market, they are available every day. They are available every five years, every seven years. So it's really difficult to just collect from you know, time series data or panel data over time. This year, we were able to use 34 countries uh, from every region and every income categories, like low-income countries, middle-income countries. And we had 338 subnational regions in them, so enough number of subnational regions to, to analyze what is going on. Do we see some increase or, or reduction in different uh, regions? And they covered 2.5 billion people for 2010-2011 year, I guess. Mm, 2011 year. years. 11, you're right. Yeah. And we made some changes that, that indicators had to be adjusted because, you know, these sizes, they also began changing the definition of the indicators. So we had to harmonize strictly those indicators across time to make uh, meaningful um, comparisons. And these are the countries uh, that uh, have been computed. Um, my colleague, Anna Vals, actually did, and also previously was Manuel Roche, who did all those computations over time. And as you can see, almost all countries had 
uh, reduced poverty, which is which is given the year two is given by darker color, year one is given by uh, the lighter shade, except Madagascar here, which had an increase, statistically significant increase in in multinational poverty. So these are sort of the rank. Nepal was sort of a star in terms of uh, reducing the the overall poverty uh, between 2006 and 2004. How did MPI decrease? So if we look at the case of Nepal, so the overall MPI is the multiplication, the product of this, what you get from here and what you get from here. So Nepal reduced. MPI by reducing both intensity and incidence. That's why it moved in this direction. Had it moved in this direction, only incidence would have gone down, but no reduction in intensity and so on. So you see, it has sort of moved diagonally. That means it has reduced both incidence and intensity. If we sort of open up Nepal to see how different regions have reduced, this is sort of how you see different regional decompositions. How they have they have reduced. Then um, we also look at this is the level of MPI and this axis shows the annualized absolute change in MPI for each region. But you see a downward trend means larger the level of MPI <coughs> in the initial year, larger is the reduction. It's sort of the regional disparity in terms of reducing MPI has also gone down for, for Nepal. This unfortunately did not happen for, for all countries across all subgroups. Let me show you some examples and, and they will appear. Before that, for the case of Nepal, if you look how, how the performance in different indicators among the poor has gone down, this is how it shows. The largest reduction happened in this indicator, I think this is assets, which is which is not uh, completely visible. See, um, attendance among the poor saw sort of the lowest reduction. So you can open up and sort of see with the overall poverty how different indicators has improved over time. And this, then again, you can open up for different. Um, indicators across different submersion regions. Here you can see for Midwestern Hill, it's clearly, although that poverty went down, although other indicators have improved, school attendance has actually gone worse. And these are for different countries, again, showing the similar trend, reduction in overall poverty, how different indicators have gone down among the poor, okay, how they have improved among the poor over time. So what we find, poverty significantly decreased in 208 of the 338 subnational regions, which are 78% of the poor. Eight countries reduced poverty in all subnational regions, Bangladesh, Bolivia, Gabon, Ghana, Mozambique, <coughs> Niger, and Rwanda. In nine countries, the poorest region reduced poverty the most. That means sort of reducing disparity, subnational disparity in multinational poverty. Now, uh, here is an example from Benin across ethnic subgroups. <coughs> Unlike Nepal, for Nepal, you saw a trend like this, right? That is higher than the initial year, larger was the reduction. What is happening here in Benin? 
clearly larger the multidimensional poverty among the subgroup, slower has been the reduction. So as a result, you could say the national, the, the ethnic group has not shared the national reduction of poverty, the poorest one. Their improvement has been much slower. Similar pattern we found when we look at the India and the subnational regions. Because I will show you as the only country where subnational is by Hindus over time. Statistically significantly, of course. Um, and when we look at another regions and across ethnic subgroups in Kenya, we find the picture such as Nepal. Okay. Um, looking at income versus income poverty versus NP poverty, you may some some people may say, you know what, income always translates in reduction in other indicators. And there is evidence which is not the case. Even in multidimensional poverty, we do not see sort of a one-to-one -one relationship between them. Nepal had always similar reduction in multidimensional poverty and, and income poverty. But if you look at these examples, these countries had much larger reduction in dollar 1.25 uh, a day, but your income has not translated well enough into the reduction of other indicators. As a result, when you look at it jointly, the reduction has been much slower. In other cases, you can see much larger reduction in MPI incidence. This requires going inside the countries and looking actually uh, inside that why income has not gone down, but why the other indicators are a classic example that can be found in John Lewis and Amartya work between Bangladesh and India. Although Bangladesh has not performed as well as in terms of economic growth, but if you look at the social indicators, Bangladesh somehow has performed very well as compared to India. Uh, now, we also look at the inequality among the poor. Why is this important? The inequality, looking at inequality among the poor is slightly different from looking at the overall inequality in society. In the overall inequality in society, you look how the rich are getting compared to those who are not rich or, or, or poor. It's not exactly the same between looking at inequality between the poor because it does not actually matter who is more poor, less poor in that sense because they are poor overall. However, when you are trying to eliminate poverty over time, it doesn't happen overnight. And it is important to see if those who are the poorest are not left behind. So that's why looking at inequality or trying to understand the distributional changes among the poor is important. That you, a policymaker should not just improve the situation of those who are the least poor and just leave those who are the poorest behind. If you look at just the number of poor, including say dollar one point five, the health plan ratio. Look at the number of poor. They, a headcount can be reduced just by reducing those with the least poor, living very close to the top line, or reducing the situation of those with the poorest. However, those two situations, if you just reduce poverty among any of them, they're not the same. Okay? Even if you show large reduction in headcount ratio, the share of the poor, but you leave the poorest behind, that's not actually a real improvement. So, we look at look at um, the inequality and also across subnational disparity in sense, like Nepal, where you could say subnational disparity in poverty has gone down over time, whereas in Benin <coughs> across different ethnic groups, subnational disparity has gone up. So in order to do that, we use an inequality measure, uh, which is a, a variance, um, just simply inequality measure, and we compute the inequality and sub inequality across 90 countries and subnational disparities for which we had information on subnational regions. 
We found highest level of inequality in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, in majority of the 34 countries for which we could do intertemporal analysis, reduction in poverty was accomplished um, inequality among the poor. So, in most of the cases, we found, although the extent varied, in some cases there was large reduction in inequality, some cases it was it was less. We gave an example in my paper with um, Sabina, uh, comparison between India and Haiti. In Haiti, we found a large reduction among the poor and also a reduction in subnational disparity. India actually did not replicate that particular story. There was reduction, but not very high, and subnational disparity actually went um, went um, in the other direction, increased <coughs> And why inequality is important is an example here. So you can look at these two countries where you have very similar MPI, similar incidence of poverty, similar intensity. However, if you look at the distribution of intensities among the poor, it's quite different. You have a smaller share of poor here in Egypt, whereas in Sudan you have a large fraction of the poor with this particular deprivation score. Here, you will find a large section of people who are much, much poorer, okay? This fraction is much lower in this, this one. So, you may have some incidence and intensity, however, there could be a very different distribution of uh, deprivation scores among the poor intensities. We computed the subnational disparity, and as I mentioned earlier, of the 31 countries for which intertemporal analysis was conducted, 15 showed reduction in subnational disparity, 15 showed no change in terms of statistical significance. The only country, India, where we found subnational disparity went uh, in the other direction. Uh, I will very quickly go through um, sort of another analysis that we did this year using 49 countries. This is what we called uh, measuring destitution. So, until now we were looking at or we are differentiating poor based on their intensities of deprivation and how many indicators they are jointly deprived. This year we went a step ahead. We set a much more stringent deprivation cutoff in each dimension and then try to identify how many poor people were there or their distribution. We expected, so these are the most stringent cutoff we used. For schooling, we used uh, as cutoff, no one has completed more than one year of schooling. That person is going to be identified, household is going to be identified as the tribe, otherwise not. So using this much more stringent deprivation cutoff, we expected that we found, we found a very low level of poverty. Okay, how could people be deprived, so deprived in dimension <coughs> simultaneously? And if any person is deprived in one third of these weighted indicators, we identified them as destitute, which are much poorer uh, section of the population. Unfortunately, we found half of the 1.2 billion poor people that the countries cover were identified as destitute. Of these destitutes, of course, as so as we expected, 93.7% live in South Africa and South Asia. Um, the percentage of MPA poor who are destitute across different regions are presented here. And of course, you can see in Sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia, the numbers, numbers are quite high. Then also we try to look at how are the destitute. Which dimensions are contributing to their destitution? Um, and these are the factoids that we found, not more than one year of schooling. There are 41% residues which had, which were from households 
where we did not have anyone more than one year of schooling. Somebody having severe malnutrition, a child or a woman or an adult in a household, 67% of the residual people face this kind of issues. 69% of the residues did not have any asset. 90% of the residues use open defecation as their you know, ease of use of toilet. However, desiccation is falling over time. So of the 34 countries that we used, we also try to complete the measure of desiccations and we look at them. It is also going down over time. And Ethiopia, exactly. Ethiopia was the champion. And there is a nice example which you do not have here, is that how we use this measure, we have similar reduction in Ethiopia, in Pakistan, and those other countries. So very forward. The three countries which have similar absolute annualized reduction in the overall number of MPI pool. Okay? However, when you look at the destitution, how do you reduce this overall number of MPI pool by reducing destitution or not? Ethiopia becomes the champion. There's a really low reduction in, in number of MPI pool, but there's a huge reduction in the number of number of destitutes. Well, I will stop here. I've taken some time and I need to Gisela to uh, move to the resources that are available that we need for research. Well, as, as John mentioned at the beginning, uh, with the aim of being transparent and, uh, and other people knowing what exactly is um, the MPI specifically, but in general, our measures composed of, um, and also with the aim of creating ownership so people can use this data therefore creating more academic research or creating as well policies that could help to improve uh, the lives of people around the world or grassroots uh, activities. We have uh, plenty of resources online. Uh, firstly, um, uh, we have created grant reality checks, uh, just as the one that Sabina uh, presented uh, this afternoon, Natalie. There are several uh, brand reality checks from all over the world that you can access online and, and see what exactly uh, the MPI measure means uh, for, for people's lives. Um, key findings from the uh, Global MPI 2014, especially as uh, Schumann mentioned, destitution, the dynamics of, of poverty, uh, rural and urban comparisons and also inequality. All these uh, uh, briefings uh, are available online and you can access them and obviously uh, you, you can access as well the methodology and the methodological notes for, for, this, uh, for these findings. If you want some uh, at a glance picture, um, rather uh, an intuition of what the MPI is, uh, we also created some infographics that will help you and guide you through the elements of how uh, uh, multidimensional poverty and destitution means uh, for the poorest of the, uh, of the poor. And a new interactive databank. These have graphics, maps, charts, that will uh, also allow you to see the compositions that are important in terms of dimensions, in terms of regions of the world. Um, and uh, several academic papers 
uh, as well that have uh, there are obviously underlying uh, all these uh, all these analyses are also available for you and the data sets that basically <coughs> compose all the maps and graphics <coughs> graphics that you will see are also available on Excel um, format so you can play with them and and yeah use them uh, in the best way. And that's it. Okay. So I think that that's really what we wanted to present. Um, clearly, just to summarize, um, the methodology that we use for measurement is used to underlie the global MPI, but it can be adapted. We're saying three dimensions and ten indicators aren't relevant everywhere. And so there's a growing number of governments like Mexico, Colombia, Bhutan, Philippines, South Africa, who are um, playing with or have already implemented official um, measures. And so these can be much more tailored to context. And sometimes in QEH, people want to use them for their own, or outside QEH, people want to use them for their own research. And so you also may want to do methodological work. And if you are interested, um, then you can look at the e-portal on our website where we have exercises, stuff to do codes, um, and lectures as videos. <coughs> if there are five people who really want to learn the methodology, we'll do a week and intensive, two-day intensive, and try to convey in the SATA um, how, how, how to actually make their own measures. Um, and uh, there are a lot of other research topics we would love. And so if you are stuck, uh, at some point, or if you know other people who are interested in doing these kind of research questions, then we have a whole list of research topics. I'm not going to go over them now, um, but these are, including with the chat data set, they're, they're topics that need to be looked at, um, and that certainly would have um, an audience of people to read papers. So um, it's both on measurement, methodological, and empirical, and qualitative issues. Do your own ground reality checks, or knock on the door of some person who's not monetary core, but is multidimensional core, and see what's going on. There are a lot of them. Um, so, uh, and then, as John said at the beginning, there's a lot of work also on the SDGs. So we're actively engaged in that. So that's a little bit of what we're doing. This is the first seminar, so it's just sort of a, an introduction. And um, after this, there'll be obviously presentations of papers, but we do hope you'll, you'll join with us. And we have the rest of the time really to interchange, and we always try to stop a little bit earlier than we have today um, to allow 15 to 20 minutes of, of interaction. So please do make your comments or suggestions or speak to any of us. Um, ask questions if you would like. If you'd like to start. Yeah. And so what kind of possibilities are there to be to involve, to be involved in, in this kind of project? So you said already like research assistants or I'm an MSc student, so what kind of opportunities are there? So the MSc's in economics for developing countries or global governance and development. Right. So um, the research assistants do different things, and I should just say I did my detail here. And at the beginning, I wanted to do this really meaningful research assistance, doing lots of reading and writing on the effect of structural adjustment on poverty. And by the end, I really wanted to do photocopying. So that my thesis you know, became my focus of my energy. So our priority, like yours, is your academic work. That comes first. Um, and so some students come and they want to write, do communications work. 
do you know, news stories for the website, synthesize literature, um, take a national example and write a policy brief on it. So there are different writing-related tasks and communication-related tasks. Um, and then others do want to do administrative tasks. And they, these are like organizing events. If we have a research workshop, it can be just inputting contacts or uploading um, as the guru of, of the different things there. Um, but I know from personal experience that sometimes you want to do one and sometimes another, and both are legitimate, and both are equally respected by us because we need both. Um, so if you're interested, then there's a sign-up sheet there, and we'll send you a form saying what your interests are, and we try to match your interests with our needs, and our needs vary over the course of the year. Exactly what we did in each data set. 
and it draws attention to the incomparabilities. In 2010, they were a lot bigger, as I mentioned, and now the number of missing indicators is much lower. Um, and also the comparability between DHS and mix has gotten a lot better. Um, and we are hoping this year to perhaps, or next year, in the next few years, to be able to also change the MPI to make some, take advantage of some of the new things they've introduced, like if the death happened recently or more than five years ago, we'd like to introduce that. It's only in the, in the DHS right now, but increasingly we'll, we'll have the middle come. But for national measures, and as Don said, a lot of the interest is in national measures, then they are comparable because it's the same data set. So that's a lot less problematic. When we do the changes over time work, we strictly harmonize them. So if they didn't have enough cooking fuel in 2000, then we drop cooking fuel from 2005. So we, and that's very strict. So that, and if we use a subsample for nutrition, and the more recent phenomenon, we always have the same uh, duplication. That's why we only have 31, 34 countries at the moment. Okay, one, two, three. So, sorry, what did you say? Oh, uh, the youth student, uh, in a priority, I think. <laughs> she's no longer a student, she's a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then, uh, my name is Shaheen. Uh, I'm working here in one of the centers of the UEAs. Um, uh, I'd like to actually, uh, my interest in multi dimensional poverty <coughs> arises from uh, my little bit of work in the poverty area. Uh, uh, here, it is interesting to see actually a lot of diversion, a lot of variation between countries and, uh, uh, on the multi dimensional poverty index. And I wonder actually if. Uh, um, uh, whether we, uh, you have any plan to uh, investigate the relation between occupation or activities with this um, multidimensional poverty index. That is maybe uh, some countries have different sort of active access to activities other countries do not have. Yeah. And uh, that may make a lot of difference between countries. Yeah. Now that, that's an example of a, of a research topic. So we have this database, um, but, and in some countries we have good occupational data. We couldn't put employment in the MPI, because for example in India, the NFHS 3, there's lots of non-response in the spouse's occupation, and so we can't use it. And so in some countries there's high non-response in the employment variables, but in some countries there's good data. And so to do the analysis of occupations, we need uh, low levels of non-response. And, but that would be a very nice project to do. Okay, well, who are the poor? What, what, what work do they do? What sectors don't, where are there sort of unskilled sectors where people are not multidimensionally poor and why? Um, so that's a, that's a good example of a research topic, but we have not done it now. I don't know, Shimon and Kisela John, feel free to touch the ad things. Who's up? Oops, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I was wondering, how do you aggregate the education especially those two which have only two indicators. Mm -hmm. It seems to be a, a small number of indicators for a whole dimension. Right. And then also, there is no income at all. And I'm wondering why, I mean, is it because of our income poverty, there is a bigger loss of other works that we don't need? I mean, there is other people doing that, or maybe it's incompatible somehow? Yeah, no, those are great questions. 
So first of all, I should have said this and I didn't. The dimensions are equally weighted. And then the indicators within each dimension are equally weighted. So these take a weight of one-sixth and these of one-eighteenth because there's three dimensions and two of these towards one-sixth. Um, in terms of there being more indicators, there were two reasons to keep it at this level. One was simplicity. So the HPI which went before it had you know, four indicators. And so going up to 10 was a bit of a stretch for UNDP. Um, but also um, the surveys didn't have. They had one extra indicator we could have used which was child vaccination but they decided not to. There was a statistical advisory committee because there are many kids that didn't have children in that particular age range. Um, and so it made the vaccination deprivation look quite low. And so they thought, and, and then households without children weren't deprived of it. So they decided not to use that question. But other than that, we didn't have an option uh, in 2009. But the SDGs were trying to put out a better survey. If it's adopted, then we can do a lot better than this. But that, that was that reason. Why didn't we put income in it? It's because we need all of the questions from the same survey. And these, the demographic and health survey, multiple indicator cluster survey, and um, world health survey don't have consumption or income data. So it was impossible. Similarly, the $1.25 a day measure, which is based on income and expenditure data or consumption data, doesn't have malnutrition and these indicators on it. So at the moment, it's not possible to have an international survey that does both. It is possible at national level. <coughs> so for example, Mexico's national measure has income and six social rights in it because they have them all in the same survey. Other countries that have surveys that include monetary consumption or income poverty and MPI are Nepal and Uganda, uh, South Africa. So there are survey sets that, that do include them, but they're in the small minority. What about the LMS and the World Bank? LSMS, um, so there are, we've just done this, 42 countries with LSMS. Mm -hmm. um, and they don't use comparable definitions, including for the consumption modules. So LSMS is really designed for national surveys, but not for comparisons. Mm -hmm. And so the harmonization is a lot more complex. We use the LSMS for Morocco, um, and that's the only LSMS we use. And that, again, was a decision by UNDP, um, with whom we work, but who published the measures because of the extra time and cost to harmonize. Um, and, but LSMS, again, is part of discussions post-2015 with the SDGs about where to go in the future in terms precisely of this harmonization comparability issue. Yes? Is there, um, we are looking at the, not the really poor, but just the people who are little above the poor measure because the poor in this specific region tend to have more opportunities to get help from the UN or World Bank. So if they decide to have a irrigation system, like let's put it in this specific region, then they their measure might have been looking more positive than yeah. so I was interested in. Absolutely. So we're hoping to do that. Um, soon. So there are two ways to go up. One is to change the poverty cutoff from 33% to something less. Mm -hmm. So the UNDP, for example, reports and has reported since 2010 what they call the vulnerable people. Mm -hmm. And those are people who are deprived in between 20 and 33% of these dimensions. 
Um, but the other way to go up is just like in destitution, we went down. So we had more exacting deprivation cutoffs. Two children had died, severe malnutrition, not one instead of five years of schooling, um, open defecation instead of inadequate sanitation. But you, you could go up. Have they completed eight years of schooling? Um, do they have a flush toilet? Do they have water piped into the house? Um, and then add other indicators that would be relevant, like overcrowding or waste disposal. And that is being done at the moment at a regional level um, by CEPAL in Latin America and by UNESCO in the Arab states. We can't go up, we can go up on education and living standards with our data sets, but we can't go up in health. What do, we, do we add obesity? I mean, we're very limited. So um, we really need a new data set to be able to go up. Um, and so in Latin America, they have the Mokovi and UNESCO, they have the PAPFAM surveys um, where they can go up. And our hope again is post-2015 we'll be able to do two, just like you have the $1.25 a day measure and you have a $2 a day measure, you also have a 4 and a $10 a day measure. So the World Bank actually pub published four. Our hope is that we could also publish an acute poverty measure like this and a moderate poverty measure with higher standards for each indicator that would be more relevant in upper middle income countries and in Europe. A colleague and I have just done an EU silk measure with European data. Um, and that's interesting because we, yeah, you, you do get some multidimensional poverty, but the data there are not so comparable in health and education. Yeah? What, sorry. Um, to what extent would it be possible that certain indicators could be kind of scaled in a continuous way rather than choosing a specific cutoff point? Mm. Because that's sometimes I feel like just below the cutoff point, you're not part of it anymore. Absolutely. And, so this is a very good point because this is a very abbreviated um, presentation. The full methodology that we have says that if data are cardinal, for example, years of schooling or income or body mass index under some interpretations of the data, you have to find your natural zero, um, then you can compute the gap, this, the normalized gap from the deprivation cutoff for each dimension and you can square it, and you can do the whole FGT style of indicators. Um, when data are ordinal, like this, um, then there is a question about what do you do, for example, with sanitation, where it does seem that open, open defecation may be worse than unprotected pit latrine. But it is not usually done to come up with a numeric scale to cardinalize ordinal data because each of us would disagree on the cardinal values, which is why what we did to go down was to go down in a step to destitution with everything being a step below. And that you can do rigorously, and you can compare monotonic transformations of the underlying data that are ordinal, and you'll get the same poverty results no matter what. But if you put a measure in, uh, you know, how much less open deprivation is than, than a tree, then you lose that. Um, there are measures that have done it, um, but this is an area where basically your philosophy of mathematics comes up. Um, what you think you can do with um, non-cardinal data? I don't know if you want to say more.